everyone, and welcome to Time to Grind. I am your host, Kim, and I am so excited because this is a new type of episode for me. And, you know, when I think about growing, I kind of think, I started to think about all aspects of our life and the things that I really need to work on too. Part of this podcast is me growing and learning and I decided to choose a topic that I definitely need to focus on learning myself. So this is probably the first topic that I'm bringing to you guys that I don't know a lot about. So I happen to have a friend who is an expert at all of this stuff. So I invited my friend on the show. Welcome, John DeGroff, to Time to Grind. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. You guys, uh, John and I met doing... Well, I guess in like 75 hard type of world. Um, And you're one of the few 75 hard people I know in person that we've met in person. (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I had my first cigar from you. So (laughs) you guys, tonight we're going to be talking about finances. We're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different stuff. And um, why don't you give everyone a little bit of background on what you do what your business is talk a little bit about your group too because i'm a member of that group on facebook you know cash flow pros is a a great place to be it also has some fire memes in there so you tell us all about you sure yeah and what is a group if it doesn't have some fire memes you know i mean that's that's the most important thing um yeah so again i'm john DeGroff. um i have worked in with people's finances since 2004, actually, which is crazy to me because I feel like I'm like 19 years old. Um, but uh, um, when I got out of college, I was doing the consumer finance end um, of the business, really helping people with bridge loans, refinancing mortgages, consolidations, and things like that. Um, and really the passion of trying to help people that way, which really was just kind of putting a bandaid over a situation, drove me into personal financial planning. And I started doing that in 2007. And so I, uh, for the last 14 years, I've been in the personal financial planning world and just trying to you know, grow a business from there. 2006, 2017, um, went out on my own um, with my, my brother, Joe, um, and we created our business, DeGroff Financial, which is a lot of the educational side of things. Um, we have built a course on, um, on money management, like your day-to-day money management that we have out there. Um, We have a couple ideas for some other courses. Some of that stuff is a little bit on the back burner at the moment. Um, But, you know, I have that side of the business and then I have my planning practice as well. Um, It's actually getting ready to go through a name change. I'm waiting. um, I'm rebranding a few things because I have to separate out the businesses for uh, compliance purposes. Um, So by the time someone hears this, um, DeGroff Financial may be just kind of a side part of the of the business and uh and so my my planning practice will be called Enliven Financial. Oh, I like that. Um, and the reason it's and the reason it's Enliven is because we've always talked about it. We we want to enliven money. Um, so it's been our tagline for DeGraw Financial for a long time. And so I just carried it over. And what that means is it means that we want to make money alive within your situation, and we want money to push people forward. Too many people look at money as a carrot on a stick. That oh, I'm going to I'm going to get my job that I hate. I'm going to put my money in a 401k so 40 years from now I can have money and be happy. Um, and I really kind of hate that that whole outlook. Um, and so, and that's kind of 
drives my philosophy on financial planning and how things work, how things should work. And yeah, obviously that can bring up a whole lot of different you know, topics you know, within that. But right. yeah, a long time of working with people's money and seeing every different situation out there, dealing with every different situation out there myself and, you know, having a lot of fun doing it. So I'm going to tell you what sparked the idea for this episode. And it was something you posted in Cashflow Pros, which by the way, you guys, is his Facebook group. I'm sure if you just hop on and search it, I'll put the link for it in the show notes. You guys go join it, check it out. But you had posted something about how a large percentage of the population thinks that the only way they can get rich is by winning the lottery. And, uh, you know, all <laughs> yeah. the answers or the, the feedback on that post, I, I commented on it myself. I, I thought it was so interesting. And it was very sad to me just to hear that. I mean, you know, as someone who is personally working towards a lot of things, including, you know, some financial freedom for myself. And, and, um, you know, I, I think ultimately, I'd like to have some generational financial freedom where my kids have that too. And, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's sad to me that the population thinks that way, or that they even bank on that, because the odds of winning the lottery are awful. Very small, <laughs> right? And, I think yeah. what hit me hard when I read that was that there are more people banking on that than themselves. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember doing the post and I, and I think I qualified the post with, I didn't, you know, clarify the statistic or whatever it was. And I don't even remember the, uh, the percentage of people that it was, but, but I know from myself, again, I've been in the business for a long time. And when I started the business, I was young and stupid. Right. So I used to, you know, be very in your face with like Facebook posts and things like that back in 2007, 2008, when social media was first really becoming a big thing. And the funny thing was, I got to a point where I was so sick of when I would ask some iteration of the question, like, hey, what would help you feel more successful financially? Or what, what big financial goal are you trying to accomplish this year? The answer would always come back. Somebody, some smart aleck would always say something about winning the lottery. And so I used to have to, I got to a point where I'd have to qualify it and say, without saying winning the lottery, you know, or without saying, you know, something. And I, I, honestly, I think it's a microcosm of, let me think about it. Like this podcast is time to grind, right? It's about, it's about grinding, right? It's about doing things. I guess if I could break it down, it's successful people do what unsuccessful people won't do, right? And that's in every area of life. And so on the money side of things, people would rather wish than work. And unfortunately, too many people just think that, well, this is my lot in life. I'm going to go, I'm going to work this job that I hate for the next 40 years. Um, And then you know, I'll live a retirement that really I'm just living on social security because I'm not going to put enough away to be able to retire with any sort of dignity. Right. I mean, 95% of people in this country don't retire financially free, right? 95% of people, it's 5% of people that retire the way they want to retire. And so, yeah, like I said, people want to wish rather than put in work. And so that's what it comes down to. Yeah. And I, I think also, so I think the big thing I want to talk about is like, I mean, we're all, essentially earning money of some kind, right? So like, you know, we're here talking about grinding, doing the work, but what are we doing with 
the fruits of that labor? What are we doing with the money that we do earn? And I was watching Instagram reels. I do it every morning with my coffee. Mm -hmm. It's my guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I saw one with Ed Milet, mm -hmm. and he said that if you are poor, if you don't have wealth, and you spend poorly instead of saving what little you can, that when you do become wealthy, or if you do become wealthy, your spending habits don't typically change, your saving habits typically don't change, and you're always poor. Because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just paraphrasing, but that really hit me because, okay, I am very guilty of, I'm, I'm better now, but I'm very guilty of in my past having really poor spending habits. I was, I wasn't a big saver. I was very like, okay, well, I have the money now and, you know, all we have is today. So I'm going to go enjoy my life and live my life. And, mm -hmm. you know, I deserve all of the things, right? So, I mean, we live in this now. I'm very different as far as like stuff. But back then, like, you know, stuff was what made me feel good. Mm -hmm. And so I'd buy the stuff instead of saving the money. And it was, absolutely the wrong choice but do you think there's any truth to that do you think that like if we're behaving this way with our money when we very have very little of it that we continue to behave that way once we have more yeah 100 percent um you know the other the other qualification that i would give on those posts you know back in the day would be you can't say make more money. Like what would help you manage your money better? What would help you get out of debt faster? What would help you do this, this, this financially? People would always say, well, if I made more money, but it's never a question of making more money. It's about being smarter with the money that we have. Now, granted, there, there's some situations there that that's not 100% true, right? I mean, somebody that lost their job or somebody that just, you know, maybe just got out of school or something doesn't have a job yet, you know, something of that nature. Okay. But I look at it like this. We talk about it in our course and we say, you know, you think about a cup, okay? And if you've got a cup and you're pouring water in it, okay, um, if you've got holes in the bottom of the cup, the water is going to continue to pour out, right? You're never going to fill that cup up, okay? Financial planning is about shoring up those holes in the cup, okay? So now if we fix the holes in the cup, it's not about more water. The, you know, it's, it, you know, more water, water being the money in this scenario. Okay. Um, it's not about more water. It's about shoring up those holes in the cup. Okay. And then once we fix that, then we can fill up the cup and then the problem becomes, what do we do with the overflow? Right. So now it creates different levels of questions. Right. right? And so, so it's never about not making enough money. It's, it's about what habits we do have with the money. Okay. And that's where, you can get into some pretty spirited conversations with people that um, won't do anything for themselves, but they're paying $200 a month for cable or they're paying, you know, $180 a month for a cell phone bill or something like that. Things that aren't necessarily necessities. Okay. Because you have $0, right. But we're, but we're paying those kind of things. And so, Yes, it can, it can be very expensive right. to live and there's a lot of tragic stories out there and everything, but but what sacrifices are we willing to make on personal comforts? That's usually a question that I that I will ask if I have if I have to have those conversations. 
That's a great question. Well, I was just going to, oh, wow. Okay. So I was just going to ask you, like, what do we do when money is tight? What do we, how do we, I guess that is the way, right? How do we save money? We, we find ways to cut other places because obviously we have things we have to pay. Sure. We have to pay our rent sure. or our mortgage. We have to pay our car and our sure. car insurance. Like, you know, um, I was always taught those are the mm -hmm. first things you pay. Like, so, you know, and then obviously we have to keep our lights on and our gas and all that stuff. But beyond that, like, yes, I think you're absolutely right. Wow. Because we are for sure a society of people that will not invest that money in ourselves or, you know, so whatever that means financially or even in ourselves as far as like coaching and things like that. Um, but <laughs> we'll go pay $5 a day at Starbucks. We'll upgrade our iPhones like that. Yeah. We will, I mean, all of it, right? There's, <laughs> it's, there's so many things that we, we put that money towards. So I guess you, you asked the question, like, not, sorry to interrupt, but you, you kind of asked the question, well, what do we do if there's not, not the money there? Right. Um, and so it's really weird, the dichotomy, because we are a very me first society, but we, but it's what I want for me instead of what I need for me. Okay. So, so I, I don't necessarily think mortgage is the first thing you need to pay or rent is, you know, first thing that you need to pay. I think that ourselves is the first thing that we need to pay. Okay. And so that's where that's a big flip, you know, mentally for people. Um, so when I started to win financially, is when I started to take any time I got paid 10% went to me first. I put 10% in savings before. And, and so, because what I used to do is when I was young and I wasn't making a lot of money or, you know, whatever, but like I would always pay me after everything else. Okay. So whatever was left is what I would put in savings when I flipped it and said, okay, I'm going to live on 90% of my income. And 10% is just going to go in my savings account. That's when I started to win. Why do people go in debt? Because they don't have money in savings, right? Why do, you know, maybe some of that spending habits too, okay? But when you force yourself into the habit of paying yourself first, okay, then that becomes a catalyst for making other decisions smartly as well, Okay. And then the other thing is, is you have to give yourself permission to prioritize yourself. You are more important than Visa, okay? Credit score be damned, whatever, sometimes it makes more sense for you to be able to eat or put clothes on your kid's back or whatever than it does to pay the Visa bill, you know? And so sometimes you have to draw the line and say, okay, I'm paying myself first. I'm going to dig myself out of the situation. I am going to meet my obligations, but today... I'm the most important here and I'm going to make sure that, you know, that the money that comes in is being used in the most proper way. Visa will be just fine if you don't pay, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> like, I, and, and I don't say that to for people to skirt their obligations. I, I, I don't mean that at all. And I don't want to come across right. that way. I, I want people to pay their bills. Okay. And preferably pay them on time. Okay. But if, if we're running into a situation, the scenario you brought up is when there's really just not enough money to go around, then you have to prioritize yourself over over a corporation that you don't like anyway, you know, that, that you that you would, right. you know, simultaneously talk smack about on social media while 
paying them before you buy yourself food. You know, it doesn't make sense to me. Right. And so, so it, uh, I mean, again, yes, you can negatively impact your credit score and things like that, but credit can always come back. Okay. Right. Your relationship with Visa will be just fine. Right. You know, but you have to prioritize yourself. Yeah, it, it will be. They will always give you a new credit card. Trust me. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So what what do you think? And this is uh, I I have to say just on that topic, because um, about five years ago, my credit was in a really bad place, um, you know, mm-hmm. post my life kind of falling apart and all this stuff. Sure. And you know, it, it absolutely, you guys, does rebuild. It, you know, it takes time, but you can mm-hmm. absolutely rebuild from, like, bottom. And mm-hmm. those credit card companies will work with you. If you call them and say, like, I can't pay you this mm-hmm. month, they mm-hmm. like that a lot more than you just not paying them. Yep. So, um, yep. Communication yeah. is key. So what do you think, just like the average person, like, common financial mistakes we're making everyday kind of stuff aside from not saving not paying ourselves first because i i don't do that i don't pay myself first now i'm going to start doing that i mean obviously the aforementioned things are big i think not knowing our numbers is big i mean people don't necessarily know just how much they spend on certain things i'll dig into people's finances sometimes and find you know they can't figure out where their money's going um and you know one specific very real example is $1,400 a month going to gas station purchases that are not gas. Okay. So like when I review, when I, when I break down a bank account, you know, if, if it's a, if it's a, a sheets purchase or an Exxon purchase or something like that, and it's less than $15, it's not gas. Okay. I can pick and choose out what gas is. And so if you're putting, if you're letting like mint run this stuff or, or, or a software like that, Anytime they see Sunoco or GoMart or whatever, they're just going to say gas, okay? But if it's $4.87, it's not gas. It's Red Bull, okay? And so, yeah, guy was spending $1,400 a month on on Bang Energy drinks and beef jerky, you know? And, and so, but, you know, that's an easy problem to fix if you can get over the addiction part of it, right? So, one, no, knowing your numbers there is very important. And two, just doing what everybody else does and not knowing why you do it is another big thing, okay? And that gets into why do people put 10% of their income into a dang 401k when they're still overdrafting their bank account every other week, right? And that's something. Now, there are people that will harp on me on that over and over and over again that I am wrong for saying that because, geez, by the time I had a guy tell me in Cashflow Pros not too long ago, you know, hey, you know, if that person was putting that 10% in a 401k, they might have a million dollars by retirement. Well, a million dollars in a 401k isn't going to do anything for your retirement. I'm sorry to say it's going to be, one, you're not even thinking about the taxes. Taxes then are going to be higher than taxes now if the 4% rule, which I think is dumb anyway, is now looking like the 3.3% rule, which means if you have a million dollars and you want that money to stick around and last, you can really only pull about $33,000 a year out of that and make sure that it lasts, okay? And then that $33,000 has to be taxed. So if you can't manage your income today, 
why are you worried about managing income at age 65 or 70? You're never going to retire anyway. You can't because you can't manage your money. So I think that a big mistake that people make is they think that retirement is a right. Yeah. It's a privilege. It's something you have to go and work for and earn. Okay. And I know our grandparents, a lot of times, I mean, you and I are pretty similar in age, you know, you know, like my grandparents, my, my, my dad's parents were on pensions. Right. So like my grandfather retired in 1985 from the gas company in Ohio. And let's see, how old was he? Um, oh, he was in his fifties, right? He lived now. He was in his yeah late fifties. I think uh, I'm not going to do math live. That's one of my rules. Um, well, anyway, he passed away two years ago at 94. Okay. So you think about that. I was three years old when he retired. The entire time I knew him, he was on a pension from the gas company, right? And they lived a pretty nice life. My, my grandmother retired in 1980 from the police department. And she was on a pension the entire time. And she's still alive. Okay. So she hasn't worked in 41 years. Okay. That's a pension. All right. 401ks do not do that. There are no guarantees in a 401k. I'm not saying that 401ks are bad, okay? But I'm not saying that you see a lot of financial planning advice and the very first thing they say is, oh, max it out, max it out, max it out. You, you don't know anything about that person's situation. I work with a ton of entrepreneurs. None of them are planning on retiring at 65. Why are they all maxing out retirement accounts? And then and you bring it up to them and they're like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. I could be redeploying that cash flow elsewhere. Yeah, you could. You know, I mean, people putting 50, 60 grand away in retirement accounts in a year, you know, because that's what their CPA tells them to do. But that's not financial planning advice. That's tax advice. And maybe tax advice isn't good to financial planning advice. Something you said really stuck with me, which was people not knowing where their money's going, like what they're spending on. And Oddly enough, sure. I was I was at work and ran into somebody that I know from work and just a random guy like, you know, uh, probably makes like 15 bucks an hour doing what he does. Mm-hmm. Real smart guy. He was we you know, he'll <laughs> come see me every now and then we'll chit chat about life. And um We were talking just about the pandemic and uh, unemployment and all these things because where I am right now, there's a huge job surplus. There are so many available jobs. Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about this and um, all these uh, this extra money we get from, you know, the IRS right now and stuff and, you know, stimulating Mm -hmm. the economy. And he said something to me that really stuck with me and made me realize I don't know what I spend all my money on. And that is that we've all mm-hmm. been a millionaire. At one, like we're, we're all millionaires. At, so everything mm-hmm. I've earned collectively, like I've been, I'm a millionaire. It's just, what have I spent it on? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and yeah. I was like, wow, yeah. I've never thought about that. That's, that's crazy. So I think that's a huge thing, you know, for the ever, average everyday person. Like I, I don't really know where all of my money goes, aside from my bills, obviously. I, I know, you know, where that's going, but, like, just what I spend on freely. Yeah, nobody, uh, most people don't understand the, the the slippage that comes off. And I, and it's it's a good point that you bring up, and that's why I'll kind of jump on it for a second. Um, 
I don't know what the psychological reasoning is behind this. And it's something I talk about a lot. So I'm glad you brought it up about people not understanding what they're worth. Right. Like it's obviously that was, that was a revelation to you that like you've made over a million dollars. And, but like, so, you know, I'll talk to people about things like say life insurance. Okay. And some every once in a while you'll get the guy that you know has a fifty thousand dollar life insurance policy to be like yeah i'm worth more dead than alive and i'm like do you understand how stupid that sounds like you think about this okay so think about you know fifteen dollars an hour right guy over here that you're talking about and let's just say that guy's 25 years old so that's what thirty one thousand two hundred dollars a year right if you're working 40 hours a week right i'm just going to do again since my rule is don't do math live i'm going to knock that down to 30 Okay, but if you're 25 years old and you're making thirty thousand dollars a year and we don't even count in annual raises or getting a different job and making a lot more money or something like that, and you're going to work 40 years. Okay, that's a one point two million dollar, you know, trajectory. Right. Thirty thousand times 40 years is one point two million dollars. That's math I can do live. So if you start to include raises and things like that. Not and inflation, et cetera. That number is probably more like two, maybe two point five. Yeah. Okay. Who's really worth more dead than alive? Okay. Not me. All right. And I have millions of dollars of life insurance. Okay. So and I'm not worth more dead than alive because what is worth more to my family is me being here as a thirty nine year old man who is a business owner and takes care of his wife and children, okay, and earns money to take care of my family, and I will continue to earn that money until I decide that I don't want to anymore, okay? And while I am doing that, I'm turning dollars into other dollars and passive income and things like that. I'm not worth more dead than alive, okay? And yes, it doesn't matter if you're making $750,000 a year or $7,500 a year, you still have worth and you still, if you look at it over the course of however long, you're going to make a lot of money, okay? Unless you decide to just mail it in and file for whatever, you know? And, uh, you know, so, but people people need to start to understand that they have a bigger purpose than just going to work every day and being miserable, right? Right. And that, And that's kind of, Unfortunately, that's kind of the system that we force people into because people take jobs just because of benefits and they stay there just because of benefits, right? Oh, I have I have a retirement plan. Well, big whoop. You can save money anywhere, okay? But I get the match, okay? Well, the match is all going to be taxed too, okay? And it's not free because you have to pay for it to get it. So once you start to turn your mind on some of these things and say, huh, yeah, think about it a little bit instead of just taking surface level arguments, you know, then you start to make different decisions about yourself because most people are absolutely miserable in the job that they have because they haven't even considered the, the thought that they can go do something that they enjoy. Oh, I could talk about that forever. I mean, most, yeah, most people I mean, that's, yeah, I, I think that most people aren't doing what they'd like to be doing. I always ask people like, um, that come to me for coaching, like if you could do, be doing anything and get paid for it, like what would it be? Um, because mm-hmm. I think that's, that's what we'd ultimately we should be doing. You know what I mean? We'd and I think that's where mm-hmm. we end up making the most money anyway. Eventually, maybe not yeah. in the immediate, but you know, yep. 
nothing makes us a lot of money in the immediate usually anyway, which is what we're going to talk about next. Sure. So like okay. if we if we talk about like let's first let's talk a little bit about what I said earlier um, because I get stuck in this a lot, which is planning for the future versus like living for today, right? Because we can't take it with us. Mm-hmm. All right. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not going to accumulate all of this stuff and no one's burying me with my flat screen TV and all of these things. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, but we do obviously want to leave behind money for our loved ones, for our children and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So like, what's mm-hmm. the balance? Like, what do we, how do I, how do I say like, oh, I'm going to spend it while I, while I'm alive, while I have it versus like, I have a future I have to plan for too. Yeah. So it's a good question. Um, you know, obviously most people aren't seeing this on video, so I'm smiling while thinking about that, um, that answer, but, uh, but it's, (laughs) um, so my philosophy, you know, on all of this is protection first. Okay. And then I'll come back to that in a second. Um, cash flow becoming a world-class saver is what I call it. You know, it's saving 20% of your income. Okay. Um, and then you can get into the talks about where to save that. That's fine. Um, we talk about life event funds. So that's things like not just retirement or paying for a kid's education, but also, Hey, I want to go on vacation next year or, Hey, I would really like in a few months to buy a new recliner, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, most people don't really think about their expenses anymore. They just either swipe a card. They don't, they don't plan for their expenses actually is what I want to say. Right. They just need swipe a card or go finance it for 90 days or, you know, whatever it is. There's no real plan and thought behind it. Okay. Um, you know, and then after that um, is really more of like the the living mm-hmm. debt free you know side of things, right? So I mean, this is the trajectory that like I use when I work with clients. Um, and so the reason I say protection first, because one of the things that I hate when I when I'm working with clients, um, I don't like to be a guy who kind of immediately says we got to have the life insurance and disability insurance conversation, okay? Because nobody wants to have that conversation. The problem is the number right. one priority in your financial plan is to manage your cash flow. Okay. But what if your cash flow stops? Okay. So like people talk about their net worth. Like you'll hear guys, you know, you know, boast about their 401k balances and all that. And like, well, my net worth is $900,000 now and all this. Well, your net worth is absolutely worthless until your cash flow turns off. Okay. And sometimes your net worth is worthless until you can actually access right. it, right? Which is another conversation. So, I mean, for instance, if you're a 35-year-old and you're bragging about your 401k balance, you still got 25 more years that you can touch it, right? So, anyway. Um, so, I say that because you talked about, like, legacy and things like that, right? You have to protect your cash flow first. So, that's why things like life insurance conversations, disability insurance conversations and things like that are very important. So you have to prioritize yourself in this and say, okay, well, obviously these are things that I need. Okay. My worth is, you know, and we can come up with a calculation to show what your economic human life value is. I try not to sell need because needs change so often. Okay. And when you do needs based financial planning, which most financial planners do, um, it's just a bunch of guesses anyway. Oh, Hey, when do you want to retire? That's a guess. You don't know. Okay. How long you think you'll live? Obviously, that's a guess. What's taxes going to be like? What's inflation going to be like? What's your health going to be like? 
you know, what, you know, any number of things. Are you going to need a nursing home? Because my gosh, that can wipe out seven figures real quick, you know? And so, you know, think about it like somebody who wanted to retire in 2007 and then 2008 happened, right? And so now we got a couple of years where the market's way down. So, you know, you, you got to think about things in a lot of different ways instead of just thinking, hey, I need to accumulate X amount of dollars and then I'm fine. That's not the way financial planning works. Um, but so anyway, protection side of things there. And then if you, once you protect your cash flow, if you could start to put away that 20% of your money, okay, then you can start to figure out now you've got a very well-balanced plan just from that stuff because now if your cash flow does turn off, you've got a fail-safe, right? The biggest things that can affect you are, you know, death, disability, or losing your job. Losing a job is really the hardest thing to plan for, okay? Because you you, you can really only save your way out of that, right? Um, you can't necessarily save your way out of a debilitating disability that might take you out for 10 or 15 years, right? Or in perpetuity, right? So once right. you've protected your income, you start to save 20%, then you start figuring out where to allocate that money and you know what the best places are. And then some of that money is going to be for tomorrow. Some of it's going to be for 10 years from now goals. Some of it's going to be for 30 year from now goals, retirement, et cetera. Okay. But you have to be well, well allocated. Right. So I, one of the things when, when Joe and I first sat down and started creating what became DeGroff Financial, um, we said that if you have 10 different planners, what the definition of financial planning is, you will get 10 different answers because no one has ever defined it. So from day one, when he and I met at a freaking hotel conference room, you know, midway between where we live, um, you know, we wanted to lay out, hey, what is the definition of financial planning? Okay. All that financial planning is, is the allocation of financial resources. Okay. That's all that it is. It's just allocating financial resources. But the purpose of financial planning is to make sure that you always have money when you need it. Okay. I'm going to use, I use the word always. People correlate financial planning with retirement planning or investment planning or, oh, hey, I'm doing, you know, like Fidelity has those commercials right now. And I forget, it's like the planning something or whatever. And it's all about, they talk about financial planning, but all they talk about is rebalancing portfolios. Okay, well, anybody can rebalance a portfolio. That's totally fine, okay? Um, but that's not financial planning, okay? Because you can put money into your portfolio all day long, but what happens if you get sick? I, I have a girl that works for me right now that has cancer, right? She hasn't worked in five months, okay? So, you know, that's, and she's 38, right? And so, you know, that's tragic. That's something that just happens, right? And... And so, like, but their investment guy never talked to them about disability insurance, right? He's just the investment guy. Insurance people are, are jackasses. Insurance people are just out to make money. Like, it's not about selling insurance. It's about taking care of a financial plan, right? And so I know that's a very roundabout answer of, of how to answer your, your question, but you have to take care of those things because – you have to make sure that money's always there, right? And legacy, you might need legacy tomorrow or you might need legacy in 60 years, okay? So like the guy, I was on a meeting, in a meeting earlier right. with a colleague of mine who's down in Florida. We were on a, on a call with a client in California 
And the question that, that John, my partner, asked was, how many people do you know that died that actually left an impact? Right? And it's a very small amount. Right? And so it's, you know, and, and, and so you have, to, you have to take that stuff into account when you're building your plan is how am I going to leave an impact, especially if you have kids and things like that. God, this is giving me so much to think about. I I read a book, and it made me think of this when you talked about saving 20% of your income. So I read this book called uh, mm-hmm. The Year of Less. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I've heard of it. It's, a, it. it's like a, a girl who wrote it who does like a financial blog, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she basically was talking to her sister and her sister was saying, you know, yeah, I saved 20% of my income. And at the time her sister was still living with her parents and she was, she thought Mm -hmm. like, why does, why is my sister spending 80% of her money? Like Mm -hmm. she doesn't need to, like, she's not even paying rent. She's not, Mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. And then she kind of thought, well, do I really need to spend 80% of my money? Mm-hmm. And so she took a year of her life, basically, and spent less. Okay. Um, she did a lot of things. She stopped drinking alcohol, which she was spending mm-hmm. a lot of money on. Um, you know, she stopped buying things aside from, like, a list of things that she gave herself she was allowed to buy. She was allowed to replace things like toiletries and sure. anything that broke or, like, you know, if her if her shoes wore out, she could replace her shoes as long as she got rid of the other ones. Things like that. And I think that's mm-hmm. all stuff we all do. Like, if you mm-hmm. think about it, when I go to Bath and Body Works, okay, I don't just go mm-hmm. and buy one lotion that I need. Sure. They're, what, buy three, get three free or some shit like that, and that's what I buy. I buy <laughs> six. Like, I leave with six. Yeah. And do I really need six lotions right now? No. Am I going to use them eventually? Yes. But then I go do it again before they're all gone. Like, yep. it's, you know, we. I think we all spend that way. And I think it's just we're all just wasting so much money, right? It's not even about how much we're, even if we're saving 20%, we could be saving a lot more and we're just wasting money, right? A lot of us. Yeah. I mean, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I mean, and again, I think that I, I, maybe I should have clarified, you know, 20% is kind of a starting point. You know, I mean, I think that it's, uh, um, I mean, the average American saves 4% of their income, 4%. Okay. And that's typically in a retirement account. Okay. That they can't even touch for however long. Okay. So, and I know just to go back, I know it sounds like I'm harping a lot on retirement accounts. It's <laughs> not that I dislike retirement accounts. What I dislike is doing finance out of order. Okay. That's where I draw a line. Okay. I can't prioritize something that's going to happen 30 years from now, maybe over me being able to get through the next two weeks appropriately. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that's where, that's where I have a philosophical difference with how modern financial planning is, is, is done. Okay. Um, as far as the, you know, the year of less. Okay. So, um, yeah, in a way I kind of dig that. And in a way, um, it speaks to a little bit of scarcity thinking. I know you've seen me talk about that a little, you've probably seen me talk about that a little bit lately. Um, I don't like scarcity thinking when it comes to finance to a point, um, because, because I see way too many people, like I made a post, I think it was yesterday, um, about, it's a couple that I know, um, and 
you know, they do really, really well when they have a seven figure, um, you know, uh, net worth. And I know I talked about net worth earlier. Okay. But I do their finances. I know what it looks like. Um, and like the wife still gets mad at the husband if he doesn't use the coupon that she gives him to go to the store, like for 25, 50 cent stuff, you know? And like, right. Ah, screw it. Like that's my parents. Right. Like, you know, like they, they, like I've watched my mom harp on my dad, like to, you know, go into a grocery store and not use the 50 cent coupon. And, you know, and like, I try to explain like, guys, you can do things now. Like I do remember when I was a kid and, you know, mom would go through and, you know, we didn't want to be around the house the day that mom would reconcile the checkbook. Right. Because that was never a good day because dad would have always carried the one wrong or something, you know? And so it was, it was always bad. Right. But I remember one time mom was reconciling the bank statements, you know, and, and we found an extra $30. And like, I remember how big of a deal that was. Right. It was 30 freaking dollars. Right. And so but that's how I came up. Like, you know, we didn't have much. And so they had to make every penny count, every penny count. I know Joe and I have talked about this on a podcast before, but like, you know, my mom, she's a genius couponer. Right. And like we would help cut coupons and then she had the box and and it was all organized, you know, by aisle and, you know, and all this. And she would triple coupon. And I remember seeing like you know, we'd have like 40 boxes of kicks at the house, you know, I hate kicks to this day because, you know, coupons. Um, but anyway, like there was a time and place for that. Right. But now like dad's still working. He does really well. He's top five salesperson in his company, you know, and he wants to retire and he can't, he could retire if he wanted, if he really wanted to. Okay. And he's cut down, he's a salesperson. So now he only works a few days a week. He doesn't take on new customers. He just services his old customers. He's, he's still making good money. Um, they don't have any of the kids at home. They're not supporting any of us. He's making more money now than he ever did when any of us were at home or when they were paying for all of us to go to college. And so, but you're constantly, it's constantly nickel this, dime that, you know, got to cut this, got to cut that. Oh, can't come down and see the grandkids because gas, you know, or, or, you know, or whatever. And it's like, that scarcity mentality, it hurts you. It can hurt you more than it helps you. Okay. I'm never going to be the financial guy who says, Oh, quit buying your avocado toast or quit drinking your Starbucks. Like, yeah, if it's a problem, I I think that it should be, we should have a box and say, okay, we're going to allocate X dollars to it. Once you spend that amount of dollars, stop. Okay. But you know, you can't, you can't just continuously go without, it's kind of like, you know, like why is 75 hard 75 days, right? Like you're not going to never have a cheat meal again, right? And so you can argue like you you can make arguments. I know people talk about like, oh, it's just not healthy to have, you know, to go that long without, you know, whatever, you know, people make excuses for anything, okay? But like you do have to be able to indulge yourself in certain ways, okay? And, you know, and financially, if that is buying that Red Bull and beef jerky at the gas station, right? Or taking your family on a vacation once a year or whatever it is, like you have to be able to do that. And if you get too into the scarcity thinking of always having to cut expenses, then it affects every other way that you plan financially. Because now you have to make all your long-term financial decisions based off of the tax consequence that you're going to get. Okay. Which means, oh, I'm going to put my money here because that's going to cut off my taxable income, which means I'll be take. I'll, I'll pay less in taxes this year, okay? Which again might be good tax advice, but it might not be good financial planning advice, okay? Uh, then it's oh, I've got to buy the cheapest 
auto insurance. I got to buy the cheapest homeowners or renters insurance. I got to buy the cheapest life insurance. And so, I mean, I've literally had a person make a decision on life insurance over 80 cents a month before. Like it was literally like, I, I, I just, it was, it, you know, we went through it and it was, Hey, buy this amount of life insurance. Oh, well, my husband only said I need this life insurance. Well, the difference is only 80 cents a month. We're talking about 10 bucks a year here. Obviously, you'll take what the guy who does this for a living tells you over your husband, right? No, we'll do the other thing. I was like, listen, I'm not even going to write it. You go to find somebody else. Like, if you're not going to let me do my job, go tell somebody else to do what they, you know, somebody else will be appreciative of the commission, but I'm not going to do it. And so, like, that, that's a problem because that scarcity mentality gets us, it, it starts to affect every other decision that we make. And so now we're making nickel and dime decisions on big, important decisions. Right. I think, I, I guess for me, it's probably more about like what I, looking at what I spend on, um, because there was something she did in the book that um, like, you know, when she started paying attention, when she stopped shopping, basically, you know what I mean? She was only buying mm-hmm. to replace. She yep. was only, and she had like an approved list of items that she knew she would need for the year. She knew she was going to need a new phone. Mm-hmm. So like that was on the list. She knew she needed a new mattress. Like that was on the list. You know what I mean? She didn't cut out things like going out and eating with friends important. because to yeah. her, that was like fulfilling for her. It was important. Right. Good. So like she didn't cut out that kind of stuff. She didn't, you know, control what she spent on food or anything like that. Alcohol was just a problem for her. So she cut that out. It's a problem for a lot of people. It is, yeah. yeah. 75 hard, you guys. You can cut it out for 75 days. If you can't, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it forced her to look at how she spent. So she didn't even realize, like, how often subconsciously she went to Amazon to shop. Mm-hmm. Yep, big thing. Until she wasn't buying anything. And then she was like, what am I even doing here? Like, on this website, mm-hmm. trying to shop. Like, I don't even need anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, things like that, I think, because um, I, I kind of did it for a while. You know, I, I did it, especially with clothes. I think that's a problem for a lot of women, just saying, like, you know, I'll, and she, she really looked at, like, okay, I really only wear, like, these 10 outfits. And, you know, so she stopped clothes shopping all the time. And I think I do that often. I'll find myself, like, on a website and be like, what am I even... I'm not even going to buy anything. You know what I mean? Or I'll load stuff in a cart and then I won't pay for it. I mean, it's it's an online cart anyway, not a store. I'm not going to just leave it there. But yeah, I, I, I think that and then maybe taking that money that we're not spending on those things, right? So maybe that she didn't spend on the alcohol, didn't spend on mm-hmm. buying clothes or whatever it is, and then being able to allocate that money to buy the more expensive life insurance or to buy the better car insurance mm-hmm. or the disability insurance or the things that we really need versus the things that we want, I guess. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't even necessarily need to come down to those type of things, but right. you know, being able to put money into something that actually moves us forward instead of takes us back. So, you know, in that, in that scenario, you know, I, I like it because yeah, most every American could live on less than what they're doing. Right. And yes, I, again, you'll, you'll have somebody that's angry that I said that, you know, but it's true thing most. It's true, though. It really is. I mean, the average person, like the average person could live on a lot less than where mm-hmm. I mean, I save so much money every day 
just by, I, I've probably saved a lot of money this year just because I stopped drinking Starbucks because they don't have very, I don't drink black coffee and they don't have very many sugar-free options. And, you know, I did my live hard year. So I had a lot of days where I couldn't have very much sugar. And even now, like I keep myself very low sugar and they just don't have a lot of options. I have my coffee at home every day. Like, Mm -hmm. and I save so much money doing that versus paying $5 a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Yep. You know what I mean? My giant thing of creamer is like $3 and my like box of K-cups is like what? 6 bucks or something. Like so I'm getting, you know, 12 cups of coffee for the price of less than 2. Yeah, just stay in the box. So, I mean, there's definitely like ways we can save money that are just as fulfilling. I think it's just like this mentality that we have that like <laughs> uh, and and there's nothing wrong with it. If Starbucks is your thing and you love it and mm-hmm. you know whatever. What because I'm so curious about this whole 401k thing. Like you have just planted like seeds in my brain now with this because I do work for a company that matches my 401k and, and all that stuff. And I put money in my 401k. So if the money's not going to our 401k, let's say we take sure. X amount of dollars instead and we put it, we save it. How, what is the best way for us to then grow that money? Like, just, I'm just talking like simple, you know, nothing too complicated. I mean, because we, we obviously, there's tons of different ways to grow our money, right? But I mean, I guess like um, for the everyday person trying to save money also while growing their money for the future. Yeah, so there's there's compliant ways that I can answer this question and there's non-compliant ways I can answer that question. So I'm thinking through it. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of, you know, in a simple situation, I, I, I tend to believe that most people are way too over leveraged on the tax deferred qualified plan side of, of their finances, meaning like money, like a 401k is usually tax deferred. Okay. Unless you put it into a Roth 401k, which is fine. Okay. That's, that's going to grow tax free, but a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA is, is going to grow tax deferred. So you're going to pay taxes at retirement rather than paying taxes now. Okay. So most people, the only put, place that they put money is their 401k. So by virtue of that, they are way over leveraged because the majority of assets that they have are all tax deferred assets. Okay. So I like to walk people through like what we call a three bucket strategy, right? Which is pretty standard in our industry, which is, you know, you have a tax deferred bucket, you have a tax free bucket and a taxable bucket. Okay. And so taxable is money like, um, like let's say you were investing in like Robinhood or crypto or something like that. If you make a gain, you get taxed on it, right? That's taxable bucket. You know, your tax deferred is your 401ks, your IRAs. You're not going to pay taxes on it today. You'll pay taxes on it when you actually take the money out. Um, but there are tax-free buckets too, okay? And so that things like a Roth IRA is big there, municipal bonds. Um, you know, permanent life insurance is something that you could fit in there depending on the situation. Um, and so it is... Um, you know, and that's a much longer conversation that people will get very, very heated over. Okay. Happy to come back and do a whole podcast on it. But a um, lot of bad information and a lot of bad products out there. But in certain scenarios, there are things that can work and strategies that can um, that can be used with that. It just has to be done properly. Um, so 
if you are allocating your money in those different strategies, it doesn't matter how much money you're making, you are, but you, you can, now you're building a more well-balanced portfolio. People think diversification is just stocks and bonds, but it's also about, you know, how your money is going to be taxed, when you can utilize money and, and all of that. And so, and I think, you know, like you're thinking about, you know, everything I've said about the 401k. Um, so part of the big reason that one, it's so popular Okay, it's because, hmm, God, man, people are going to hate me. Um, it's, it's, it, the way, listen, I mean, 401ks came around in the late seventies, right? When when pensions started to go, pensions were not gone away yet. Okay, but the reason that 401ks came about is they said this will be a nice supplement to a pension. Okay, because you can't necessarily control your pension amount. Okay, but you can, you know, you're going to work a certain amount of time and you're going to have a certain dollar amount. But now you have this, you can put away money and it will help supplement your pension. So so it helps with what what I call like a layered retirement plan. Right. So you have a layer that's like, say, your Social Security. Then you might have a layer that is a pension. Then you might have a layer that is some other sort of guaranteed income or whatever. And so you're stacking these layers before you even start to take from something like, say, a 401k. Okay. But what happened is after people started getting access to the 401k and started throwing a bunch of money into it, which led to a big boom in the 80s as far as the market stuff went, right? Because now everybody's investing in the market. Um, then the pensions started to go away. People were living longer and longer, and it just made sense. Companies couldn't afford, like, again, think about my grandfather, you know, who lived for 40 years after he retired, right? Um, and my grandmother, who's still alive, right? And so, right. so yeah. the pensions go away, and now, you know, from a corporation standpoint of things, from a bank, from a financial institution, what do they want you to do? They want you to give them your money systematically, right? They want to hold on to your money for a very long period of time, right? And then they want to give it back to you in small increments, right? And so so they don't – but how does a bank manage their money? How does a financial institution manage their money? They – take money and they immediately disperse it into something else that's going to make them money, get big rates of return. They come back and then they do it again. Right? So corporate finance and personal finance are run completely different. Okay. But corporate finance rules will actually work much, much better for the average individual. Okay. It's called velocity of money, right? Keeping it moving. All right. But we can't have velocity of money in the average financial situation because we're locking up all of our money and we don't have access to it. So we can't make any decisions that we want to make because we can't touch any of our money until we're 60 years old. Okay, And if we do want to access our money, now we have to pay penalties, which a lot of people are unwilling to do. And maybe they can take a loan, but the, the, the biggest loan you can take out of a 401k 99.6% of the time is $50,000. And yeah, that might seem like a huge chunk of money, but not if you're buying into a business or you're wanting to buy a flip house, you know, or something like that, right? And so, and because, again, of what I said about financial financial institutions wanting you to give them your money, you know, keep it for a long period of time, only give it back in pieces and all that stuff. We think, because we're fed every day, that the best way to manage your money is to invest it, okay? Because compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world, which is not even what the guy said, okay? 
and compound interest that doesn't work if you take money out of it, right? So like when when you see those memes that roll around, okay, you see those memes roll around like, oh, hey, if you started investing $100 a month and you did it for 40 years, you're going to have $2.9 million or whatever. Again, not math live, all right? But, you know, I'm, I might be exaggerating that. But like if you have one negative year in the market, that number is going to be significantly different. One negative year. You don't think over 30 or 40 years you're going to have some negative years? But we have a whole generation of people today that are investing that have never seen a down year in the market, right? They all started like investing in 2009 or after, right? Some of us remember 2008. Some of us remember 1999 to 2002, right? Some of us remember 1987, right? Like bad things happen in the market. The market doesn't always just go up. Yes, over time, it will go up. But sometimes you can't account for big losses over a couple of years when your timeline starts to get truncated. So everybody thinks, oh, it's okay if the market has a couple of bad years because it always comes back. Well, that affects you more when you're 76 than it does when you're 36. Okay. So, but people don't think about these things. A couple bad years in the market when you're in the retirement mode and you don't have money coming in, they'll kill you if you don't have any non-correlated assets, meaning that you don't have anything that is um, not tied to the market, but still has growth potential in it. Okay. And so, and that goes, well, another, another podcast, but so, and there are solutions for that. There are solutions for that. Okay. Right. Um, but you, you can't just look at everything on the surface level. Right. Right. So, so that's the thing. So, I mean, if you, you know, going back to, you know, what you said about, you know, what's the average person do? The average person just needs to look slightly beyond what everybody else is doing. If you do what everybody else is doing, you're going to get the same exact results as everybody else. Again, 95% of this people, 95% of people in this country don't retire with financial dignity. So why are we all doing the same thing? That bothers me. And I think people are retiring later and later and later. Like they're not, they're just not able to. You guys, I wish you had seen me while he was talking. I was like mind blown about all of this stuff uh, about the banks and okay. I'm I have so much to digest with all of this. This was good. So informative. This is honestly, I've done a lot of podcasts now. I think I'm episode 40 something. Sure. And I always do so much research. I did like nothing for this because I wanted to like learn and I have so many ideas for myself now. Like mm-hmm. this was so helpful for me. So I'm, I hope it was just as helpful for my listeners. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to have you back on to talk about some things and maybe like rucking sometime. Maybe we'll, yeah, we talked talk about, about the, we talked about that yeah, one once, didn't we? We did. I, I do. I want to get with like you and Christopher and maybe like Vanessa or whoever and do like a, yeah, well, those guys have definitely been doing it a whole lot more than me lately. So, well, you all, you all do things a little bit different. Like you all do different stuff. So it's, you know, um, I, I love how Vanessa, like always throws hers on while she works out and um it's it's just all different so um yeah i'm uh i'm i have so much going on in my head with this so i'm really excited to kind of dig into my own finances and and look at things a little bit differently where can everyone find you and your course and your help if they would like it and all of those things so i am on facebook Instagram, LinkedIn, 
Twitter. It's just John DeGroff, J-O-N-D-E-G-R-O-F-F. Like I'm, um, other than the John DeGroff that spells his name with an H that founded the Christian rock band Petra in Bryan, Ohio in the (laughs) 1970s. Um, I'm pretty much the John DeGroff that exists. Um, (laughs) so, so, um, so that's me. Um, Cashflow Pros is my group. You did ask me very early on in this to talk about my group, um, and then I neglected to do so. Um, but yeah, Cashflow Pros is my group. Um, and basically all that is is me just um, one thought a day, um, something like some of the things we've talked about here. Um, and sometimes that thought is easier to come up with than others, but I try to post in there every day and generate some sort of conversation in there. Um and, uh, but you know, it's a good growing group. I mean, we're at over 800 members. I'm trying to, you know, consistently grow that. Um, and, uh, you know, and then that has led to, um, like, I, like we said, our course, um, is, um, at, uh, Um, and so, you know, that's, uh, and again, you can link that in there. Um, I have to make a change in there right now. I, I had it as a monthly thing because we were offering some outside, um, things I'm actually going to change that to a one-time, you know, course fee, um, and then just just sell it that way because I don't have a ton of time right now to put into the extra things. Um, so, um, but yeah, that's those are the be- best places to find me, um, and I'm happy to you know set up meetings with people, um, you know, or talk to people, walk people through, um, you know, answer questions, whatever. I mean, I, I have I really enjoy what I do. So I'm the type of guy that, like I say, my do not disturb comes on my phone from 10 a.m. 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. every day. Um, so, you know, other than those times, like if I get a message on Messenger or something like that and somebody has a question, if I can answer it, I'm going to answer it, you know. And it, and if I say like um, if somebody asks me a question about something that maybe I'm not the pro at, I'll give you somebody, you know, that does. I mean, I'm in. I, I, I'm in a lot of groups and things like that. I have a lot of contacts, people that work with people all over the country with their finances and, and I'm connected to people all over the country. Um, and so, you know, I can find somebody for you that, that you need if, if uh, that's what it comes I to. I can attest to that, you guys. I was looking for help not that long ago and just about business in general. And uh, in a, we're in a, a group of friends together, John and I, and he was, we had a conversation and he couldn't help me, but he sent me exactly who I needed at the time. And it was a godsend to me. So he's not lying about that. He's got a lot of wonderful connections. And if he can't help you, I'm sure he knows someone who does. But I appreciate that. You know, I, I just want to say I, I only have recommend people's services and them if I know they're like good people and love to give value and you are definitely one of those people so go check out john you guys he's such great such a great guy and um i appreciate you so much coming on here it's good to see you again it's good to see you again i'm glad to be here yeah so you know we could have like lit up a cigar and hung out or something but (laughs) i haven't yeah i haven't had one since it was like my one and only but i keep wanting to check out like some swanky like cigar lounge out here in vegas yeah so yeah maybe one day there's like a dope one at the cosmopolitan i'd like to check out one day but yeah i've been to the one at uh caesar's well there's a couple of Caesars, but uh um but that's that's actually the only time i've ever been to vegas so yeah all right 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And you guys, I will be back next week with a new episode and all of the good things. And um, you can also find John just in the community. He's there. So, you know, you can just search the members and all that stuff. Good point. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's he's like our kind of people. He's been through 75 hard and like some of the phases too, right? Um, One, yeah. All right. Well, you know, it's more than And then the phase funny. of when you completely fall off the wagon, you know, and all of that too. Been through all the phases. Yeah, it happens. It happens. <laughs> it does. All right. It does. Everyone, have a great one, and in the meantime, get out there and grind.